You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs. Steven Zumcox and a disgruntled Matt Jennings here with me. He's fired up. He's ready to talk. And we'll get into some uh, some fun conversations about, um, you know, again, sort of where we are with this program and what's going on. But uh, to start today, TCU falls to Texas 32-27. to um, Again, a game where they didn't play particularly well for stretches but had a chance to win at the end, could not get off – defense could not get off the field at the end of the game. Um, so, first, Matt, I just want to know – because, I mean, watching that game yesterday, I came away thinking the defense played better. I, like, I, I did think they were improved. But they still gave up 32 points. Uh, you know, a couple fumbles in the red zone gifted them some of that. But um, 32 points nonetheless. So w- what did you sort of make of the defensive performance coming out that SMU game? Did you feel like it was a step forward for them um, going up against Texas Saturday? Yeah, I think, I think on the whole, you are, you're more hap- you're happier with the defensive performance from TCU on Saturday than, than you were against, against SMU. Part of that's because like, they got some key guys back, right? Like Kyrie Coleman and Noah Daniels both got out there, not like for the whole game, but they both got some key snaps. That helped a little bit. And um, I think they tried some different things in terms of the linebacker rotation, Jamoy Hodge got some more snaps on Saturday and I liked what I saw from him. So like they were trying some different things. They, uh, which kudos to them for, for realizing there was something wrong and they needed to try something. And, and, and yeah, I think they were just, uh, you know, I think on the whole things were better. The problem was obviously they were facing uh, B. John Robinson, who's, you know, one of the, one of the three best running backs in the country probably. And um, he just, you know, there's not much you can do that, especially when, when Corey Bethley's out. So, um, you know, I think on the whole, like I said, happier with, happier with the thing, like, you know, Dylan Horton's out there getting, getting some pass rush, obviously getting Coleman out there. I don't, he didn't, he didn't record a sack, but he was just affecting the quarterback to, uh, when he was on the field. Um, they got better coverage in the back end. I think in general, like they didn't have as many, just like blatant blown coverages. Um, you know, the missed tackles they had, I think were, um, equal parts, the inexperience, and also just B. John Robinson. It's just hard to tackle. So, um, you know, I, there's obviously still things to build on, but I did think it was an improvement from the SMU game, even if the, um, you know, the output that Texas had was still, you know, 30 plus points. I do want to talk about Robinson for a minute because, uh, you know, it's a TC podcast. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on another player, but that dude's something else. Like, I, I saw a lot of people yesterday, and I understand the frustration. I'm not going to dismiss it. I, I certainly feel like there's issues for TCU's defense, but um, a lot of people tweeting, like, how can you not get a tackle there? How do you not stop that dude in that situation? But, man, like, that run on third and six, like, yeah, you've got to find a way to get him to the ground. That's your job. Do your job. Same time, though, I mean, he was running laterally. Like, he – sort of stopped and shuffled. He broke a few tackles, found a way to get that first down. Like, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I was thinking about this today. 
you see guys every year, there's a couple dudes that are just speedsters, right? Like at that running back position in college football that are just like fast, fast, fast. But I mean, he's the first running back, maybe since Zeke in college, like Zeke was sort of like this. I think Darren McFadden comes to mind of just dudes that are like, good luck bringing him down. And he can get to the second level and he can go to the house, but also that what you think is a two yard gain or a one yard gain ends up being a six or seven yard gain just because he's leaning on people and making moves and just running through, running through tackles all day long. He was, uh, he was fun to watch yesterday, even though it was against, you know, our favorite football team. Yeah. You know, to your, to your point, (laughs) pro football focus uh, today um, uh, shared that the top two uh, running backs in terms of most missed tackles forced this week uh number two was brian robinson at alabama forced 11 number one was Bijan robinson at texas forced 15 missed tackles uh against tcu and that's to your point like it's just it's really really hard to bring him down one-on-one and and or with an arm tackle it's just really really tough so yeah he's he's a different kind of player um and that showed yesterday and texas made a point knew that that was what was working for him so they went with it they um in contrast to maybe the other team that was playing yesterday, they leaned into what was working and they handed the ball off to, to, to Bijan a lot. They understood that Casey Thompson was not having a super efficient day. Um, and that, and they were like, you know what? He kind of doesn't need to because Bijan's going to rush for 200 plus yards today. And let's see if that's enough to, to get us where we need to go. And it ended up being the case. Okay, so a, a position that has been sort of unsettled, and it's weird to talk about this because in Gary Patterson's defense, like one thing I can always count on is solid linebacker play. Like it's just whoever gets out there plays well. And D. Winters has been fantastic. But um, what are your thoughts on Jamoy Hodge and Wyatt Harris? Like obviously Hodge is more physical. He seems more athletic. And I don't know if he's just – a little lost on some of the concepts, but it feels like they trust Harris more, even though he obviously has some limitations. Um, I mean, they're sort of missing along with the interior D line. They're really missing that second inside linebacker that can clean things up when it does break out and start to, you know, get to the second level on some of those run plays. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think you, I think you're exactly right. I think Hodge is the more athletic guy. That's is the higher ceiling guy. But I think um, TCU has done this for a long time. Gary has done this for a long time where um, he's okay putting out one of his two linebackers who's not the most athletic dude. I'm thinking back to like Joel Hasley, Marcus Mallett, um, where, but if he, if he's a, a veteran who get, trusts, um, He's gonna he he's gonna be the guy that he goes with. Um, I think Hodge we saw on Saturday though is is talented enough that it's it's kind of hard to keep him off the field. Um, and so they're gonna have to kind of make a decision there about you know who's the primary, who's the starter, and who's the guy who rotates in. And, and thus far it's been Harris who's been starting and Hodge been been rotating in. But yeah, I agree. I think I think it needs to be the other way around, um, just because they're they're their ceiling is higher, their ability to, to make stops. Hodge was just like chasing guys down all over the field. He's able to cover ground so fast. Um, so I, I do think that's the, that was one of my big takeaways from yesterday. And one, of, like I said, one of the reasons I thought the defense looked better, um, not to say, you know, like I said, Harris is in, 
Harris is more experienced, probably knows the defense a little bit better, um, probably going to be in better position sometimes. But, you know, we're well past the point this season where you're like, I want to go with the guy who I know is going to have the assignment right just because, um, because he's a part of a larger defense that I trust and, and, and we want to be a solid defensive unit um, and we want that one cog to be really solid. Like the whole defense is in flux this year. Like you need to accept that. And with that acceptance, be like, all right, well then what gives us um, the highest ceiling on the defense since we're already kind of changing out parts everywhere anyway, um, why not give us um, the most athleticism on that side of the ball um, to make up for the fact that we do have a bunch of guys who are young, who are going to miss assignments and, 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 and make mistakes. Put a guy out there who can make up for that with some speed and some athleticism. And I think Hodge is that guy. Um, so that, so yeah, I, you know, I was happy to see him out there. I said this last week, I'd love to see a little bit of, of Shad Banks out there too um, in the rotation a little bit more because they just need to be faster and they just need to be faster and they need to be, um, you know, um, they, they need more athleticism and more talent on that side of the ball this season, which is the thing that they're missing with the guys that they have out with injuries. And it cannot be a bad thing to put more of that out there. No, I can't. And I mean, in some ways you've played two of the better offenses you're going to see all year already, but still um, you need as much help there as possible. And we hope, Corey Bethley can get healthy as soon as possible. Okay, so let's get to the strangest thing about this game. Um, And it wasn't the TJ Carter phantom targeting call, even though we both agree that that was a silly call, a silly. It was weird. It was very weird. It was weird. It was weird that they, it's just weird that they can, when there's no flag on the field, review that and, and make a call, you know, after the play. It was all very bizarre. Um, But Zach Evans had 15 carries yesterday. Had over 100 yards, ran the ball well. Uh, had a couple touchdowns, I think, at least one. But, uh, you know, he didn't he, he didn't touch the ball nearly as much as you would think. And you, you had a funny tweet about this today. I think it was a, in meme form. But in a lot of ways, like, Zach seems like the perfect situation for Gary and what he wants to do in that you can run the ball, you can protect your defense – it helps out your quarterback who struggles with accuracy at times and, uh, you know, is, is sort of limited in the passing game. But they're just not – they're not finding ways to get him the football. And, and afterwards in the press conference, Gary said that he was tired. The second week in a row that he said he was tired and that's why he wasn't out there in big situations. What's your perspective on this? Uh, as to, you know, what's going on here that's leading Evans to not getting touches. Yeah, you know, to me, Gary saying he was tired feels disingenuous, just like flat out. It, um, look, Steven's the host. He has to maintain some level of professionalism. I'm the guest, so I get to be a little bit more uh, off the cuff of it. I think Gary's lying. I just straight up think that he's lying. I, I don't think that's the reason Zach wasn't getting the, the the number of carries that everybody thinks that maybe he should have. And it's also exacerbated by the fact that B. John Robinson's the other running back in the game, right? And so, like, there's no – the natural reflexes to compare their production and their workloads. And so to see B. John have 35 carries – 
and you know he was the other big running back in the same recruiting class as Zach Evans and see him get 35 in the same game and see Zach Evans get 15 in a game where Zach Evans is actually averaging more yards per carry than B. John Robinson was it's weird right it's super weird and so um, there's that just natural reflex that makes this even stranger and, and makes it, it makes that um, uh, makes the size of his workload stand out even more. But with that being said, no, I, I think Gary's not telling the truth because it's, it's one of two things. I think it's probably one of two things, which is either he's telling the truth and that Zach Evans is really gassed um, or uh, is, is banged up in some way, right? And if that's the case, um, there's a problem with your strength and conditioning program, which like lots of people have asked that question about like what, you know, TCU's strength and conditioning program, the injuries, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the reason, but if that is really the reason, then you got a problem because um, he's not a true freshman who just got here in July. Zach Evans is, is a sophomore. He know he's known that he's going to be the future back since, um, you know, since the middle of last season. Right. And um, that's the reason Darwin Barlow transferred in the, in the spring, because he knew he could read the writing on the wall that like Evans was getting the lion's share of the carries and, and he carried the ball 22 times against Cal three weeks ago. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it just, to me, um, either. Yes. The strength and there's the, he really was gas in which case there's a strength and conditioning issue, which is a big problem, or you're just making stuff up because it's like, well, um, we insist on having running back by committee. We have forever. We're not going to change it, even though we've got the best player at that position that we've ever had since LT. Um, and I don't want to, you know, throw my guys under the bus about it. I don't want people to criticize me for it. So I'm going to like make up something about um, my best player and he's not going to let him answer for it. Cause I'm not going to let him talk to the media ever. And that's on Gary. If that's, if that's actually what happened um, either way, it's not good. Um, there's there's an there there's possible other explanations for it but those seem like the most likely ones to me and i and i like i said i think it's the latter i think gary is um we've seen this forever we saw it with kyle hicks when there was the whole give kyle the dang ball movement um you know we saw it later on with darius anderson to very to various degrees you know we've seen it just over and over again where it's just like tcu like just doesn't want to lean on one back too heavily and it's like gary thinks that he's still in the mountain west and, and he wants to have a stable of wayman james and ed wesley and 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 have a three-headed or at least a two-headed backfield it's like you don't you don't need to do that especially when you've got a guy with the talent that zach evans has and at the very least okay let's 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 put aside the carry number for zach evans for whatever reason let's say that whatever reason he wasn't carrying the ball was legitimate okay well then why in the world why on god's green earth is Amari DeMarcado getting carries in a significant moment against Texas in the fourth quarter? Like at the very least put Kendra Miller in there. Like I don't, I was losing my mind. And you went three and out on that drive that you were like, well, let's put, let's trot DeMarcado out there. And I'm like, I love Amari. He's great. He's, you know, he's, he's been, he's, he's been like the, like the third or fourth guy forever. Always love to see him get an opportunity at carries. He's what are we doing here? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And of course they bring Kendra in on the next drive and they, and they drive down the field and they, and they, and he scores the, he scores the touchdown to get him within one score. Okay. Well then why wasn't that the move earlier? It's just the personnel decision that TCU has made at running back 
um, for years has not, has, has not made a ton of sense to me. I think the one exception notably was when Curtis Looper was your co-OC and like the, the running backs coach being the co-OC and being like, hey, like let's, let's give Kyle Hicks the ball. Let's give Darius Sanderson the ball and just lean on them. And it made a lot of sense. They were really good on offense in 2017. Anyways, I'm totally sidetracking our conversation, but no, I, you know, to me, that's, that's my reading of the situation. I don't think Gary's being totally truthful. And if he is being truthful, then I think we got larger issues there. No, I appreciate the sidetracking because I, I want to sidetrack it some more. Now, the, my perspective, just one thing I will say about the Evans situation. He does tap his helmet a lot in Ask Out of the Game. Now, I, I, I don't know the reason for that. You know, if it is a strength and conditioning thing, whatever. Um, if it's that kind of looking into the future and seeing that he's got some more important games to play in, maybe down the road for money later on. On um, Sundays. On Sundays. I can understand that. I think that's kind of a short-sighted thought process, especially when, you know, as you said, either off air or on air, like the dude across from you is running the rock 30 times. And what Texas did yesterday was a great blueprint for, hey, our QB's kind of struggling a little bit. You know, we're we're not – we don't exactly have our footing in this game. Let's just hand the ball to six. And, like, I, I don't get this. I just – I don't understand – the um the fact that you have a dude who makes sense for your offense who would help solve or curtail some problems fits what you want to do like like Jerry Kill and Gary Patterson are on the staff Jerry Kill a coach at Minnesota and Big Ten country where all, all they want to do is run the football and like GP who wants to protect his defense like why would you not utilize this this player as much as you can and if it's if it's his decision then that's on the coaching staff too because there has to be conversation of like listen you have to like you have to stay in the game sometimes you got to stay in the game you can't you can't come out after two straight carries like you have to stay in the ball game and also i mean i don't want to beat a dead horse with a play calling but you know there was that one of those turnovers um he comes out and he had had three straight runs and they're moving the ball a little bit. It's second and eight. And they run the stupid like reverse to Darius Davis and he fumbles. And it's just like, it's like poor Doug Meacham with his divorced dad energy is just so whipped by Gary. And he can't, since he can't call anything creative, he's just left with like, I have to, I have to call one reverse a game. Like my body is just telling me that I have to run one ill-timed trick play per game and it it didn't work they turned the ball over I just I don't I don't get Matt again and it's it's I don't want to spend forever on it because you know it's the same conversation we've had for years but like there is there is no identity to this team offensively and finally when it's like you have a player that sort of fits what I think a lot of people on the coaching staff would like their identity to be. Now you're not going to use them. This isn't even like Jalen Rager on the outside. And the issue is, well, we can't get him the ball because we don't have a quarterback that can really throw. This is all you have to do is turn and hand it off. And they still like, they still just refuse to hand him the football. I don't understand. Yeah. I, th- I think there is to your point, there's a 
there is a confluence of, of many factors coming together that is, that is causing the issue. The identity thing, we've talked about it. I, I, I think that the arranged marriage of Jerry Kill and Doug Meacham, we're just like seeing the fruit of that. Now, like, let's be entirely fair. I do want to be like 100% fair on this. Um, as of now, this obviously could change, but as of now, TCU ranks 32nd in the country in offensive SP+. They are um, top 30. Yes, they're ranked 30th in the country. In I don't care about these country. things, but keep, keep telling me, but I don't care about them. <laughs> keep telling me about them. They're 30th in the country in yards per carry. Um, they are 32nd in the country in scoring offense. Um, they're not entirely hapless on, on offense the way that they have been in a couple years, a couple times in, in recent years. So I'll give them that. I don't know how much of that is probably attributable to just like when they do hand the ball off to Zach Evans and good things happen. Um, but no, yeah, it, 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 it defies belief that this is to your point. This is what Gary has been wanting forever is the ability to play ball control, to run the ball, to, to zig when everyone else is zagging, right? Cause everyone else in the big 12 is let's air it out. Let's spread it out. Let's go tempo. And Gary wants to slow stuff down. Gary wants to control the clock. Gary wants to, uh, to protect his defense. Gary wants to make sure that his defense has excellent field position, right? And now to your, he, has the, he has the ultimate opportunity to do that. And they are electing instead to, uh, to just not run the ball with Zach Evans sometimes. Or as we said before, even when Zach Evans comes out of the game, let's, let's take the reasoning out of it. But when he does come out of the game, you are running just it's like you don't know what to do it's like you got to have a backup plan on those because he because to be fair to zach he can't carry the ball 40 times a game that's not reasonable right not on a consistent basis so what do you do in those in those other instances this is something that i that i noted yesterday that i um, noticed yesterday this is the third year in a row when we've seen Max Duggan do this thing where like they're down by one or two possessions in the fourth quarter and suddenly he can move the ball down the field easily. And I think that's a combination of two things. I think one, the opposing defenses probably change up their coverage a little bit or play more conservative. But I think the other thing is that um, Doug Meacham suddenly starts running the things that I think he really instinctively actually wants to run. He wants to run, hurry up. He wants to let, he wants to uh, utilize the full space and width of the field and he just doesn't do that all the time well here's the thing max duggan carried the ball 16 times yesterday and zach evans carried 15 right but zach evans but max duggan not anywhere near as efficient because these defenses are loading up because uh, against max max duggan's running ability because they know that's what he's good at and they're daring him to throw well if that's the environment that you're putting your quarterback in all the time then give him then he's going to get one-on-one matchups to throw the ball against. So when you choose to not run the ball with Zach Evans, throw the ball on those quick crossing patterns that Max Duggan, as we saw in that last drive in the fourth quarter, he can do, you know, he's not always perfectly on time. He's not always uh, perfectly accurate, but the guy can move the ball downfield and throw the ball against one-on-one coverage over the middle when he gets the opportunity to do that. But because Gary is like so 
allergic to the idea he and jerry kill are uh, this is my perception at least are allergic to the idea of putting the ball at risk ever they're like we can't throw the ball over the middle of the field because if you throw the ball in the middle of the field you're going to turn the ball over you're going to throw interceptions and so they only want to throw out routes they only want to throw fades they only want to they, they only want to throw outside the numbers well guess what that's not what max duggan's good at let him do the thing that he's good at and maybe you'll make defenses pay for loading up the box against him and against Zach Evans. And then maybe you'll be able to throw some play action off of that because defenses will realize, oh man, we got to back off, right? And so that'll give Zach Evans some room to run. And then maybe from there, you get to throw play action because then the defenses have to respect your running game more rather than just waiting for them to either hand the ball off to the running back or max, uh, max to run a QB draw because they have to respect other stuff. It's just... But there's, to your point, there's no creativity, there's no identity, there's, they're so risk averse in terms of their play calling that their, their risk averseness becomes a risk for the, because it, it eliminates their ability to do anything to capitalize on the talent that they have at any of their positions. And it's so frustrating to watch. And we've been watching it for three and a half years and I'm just, I'm tired, Steven. I'm so tired. I'm tired too. And I, I acknowledge they have more firepower and they are better offensively than they've been. But still, it's just like these stretches in the game. I mean, you know, they, they went at 14-13 yesterday and they didn't score another touchdown until, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter when they went 99 yards. It's just like it, it seems like they start fast and then defense will sort of adjust to what they're doing. And then they get bogged down. And then it's like, okay, we're down by two scores. We got to go. As you said, either, you know, there's more prevent defense being played or suddenly it's like, well, hey, we got to go score. We, now, now we have to play a football game. And they run um, more tempo in those yeah. situations as well, which helps max out as well because the defense, to your point, play more vanilla, play, has to play more generic and vanilla coverages because they're in a hurry up situation and they don't have a chance to, to really get set based on what the offense is doing. They've got eight games left. They're two and two. Um, I really like. I my question, Matt, Matt is what are where are your expectations at now? Because, I mean, so you play Tech this week, which Henry Columbia's in there at QB. Um, they went on the road to West Virginia and won a football game, which I did not expect. Uh, on the road at K State, it's gonna be tough. You know, good luck in Norman, even though Oklahoma looks kind of vulnerable. Good luck in Stillwater. Oklahoma State's playing well. My point being, like, there are arguments I can make for pretty much all the games left on the schedule um, outside of OU, because even though they look rough right now, just Lincoln Riley, like, aside from one half of football with Jalen Hurts out there, has just cooked, you know, this this team. Um, I could make arguments in a lot of these games. Oh, yeah, TCU can win this, or they're going to lose this. Uh, what sort of your – read on where we go from here you know they they looked better yesterday but now you have you have to go take care of business against some of the middle of the pack of the conference over the next couple weeks yeah that's the that's the good news for them is is i think everybody not everybody a lot of the other teams in the conference are in similar situations to tcu whether that's like offensive identity wise they don't know what they're doing maybe don't have the quarterback situation that they want um, maybe they're a little banged up, whatever. Um, 
so I do think they've got a chance to go on a little bit of a run here. Uh, yeah, to your point, like they're not. I was wrong last week. I don't know why I said they were playing Oklahoma. I, I think I said at some point this past week that Oklahoma was playing in Fort Worth. No, it's 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 in Norman. Um, regardless, um, yeah, they're losing that game. That's just Link. I've Lincoln Riley. It's really funny every year when they're trying pose that as like the offensive genius in Lincoln Riley versus the defensive genius in Gary Patterson. And then the game's always like 40 to 10. Um, but uh, no, yeah, Texas tech looks like a fairly winnable game, especially if they are as banged up as they were this past week. Although what a shock, you know, Sonny Cumbie, you know, when he, when he's allowed to kind of do what he wants to do with the quarterback, like he can make a, he can make an offense look like somewhat confident, even when they don't have all the talent they want. It's super weird. I don't know what that's about. I don't know how that could possibly be the case um, I'm, I'm doing like revision i'm like re-talking myself back into sunny Cumbie, like being a decent offensive coordinator so that's how i know i'm like way too far down the rabbit hole like through the looking glass all the way um but uh it's in lubbock it's a night game that's super weird but the last time that tc went and played texas tech at night uh, was in 2015, which was uh, a win for TCU in dramatic fashion. Of course, they had Trevon Boykin and Aaron Green and Josh Dotson on that team, but whatever. Um, then at, at OU, West Virginia looks bad, man. West Virginia looks real bad. Um, so that looks like a winnable game. I, I, I have a hard time getting a read on K-State because they look so good through the first part of the season. They get whooped by Oklahoma State. Um, but then um, but then last week, they look they at least look competitive for a while against OU to a degree and, and, you know, get some bounces to go their way. Maybe that, that game's a little closer than it looked. Um, Baylor offensively looks rough at the moment. And so maybe, you know, that's an opportunity for you. Um, Oklahoma state Spencer Sanders, I think is a very similar quarterback to Max Duggan. I think Oklahoma state fans probably feel very similarly about him as TCU fans about, feel about Duggan and he kills out the year with Kansas and at Iowa state. So, um, you know, if I had off, like off the top of my head, there's probably at least, I would think there's four wins in there somewhere. I just don't know which games they are. Um, so that, you know, that, that would get you to bowl eligibility. Um, but like, if we're sitting here and TCU is 2018, 17, 19, if they're um, fighting for bowl eligibility in November for the fourth year in a row, like, does that say anything? Like, shouldn't that say something at, at, at this point about like where the program is? Now, if they go on a run and they finish again, like we said last week, if they finish with eight or nine wins, maybe I feel really, really differently. Um, but right now this looks like a team that's going to be struggling to make a bowl at the end of the year. And if that's what the case is, and it's been the case for including this season, it would be four seasons in a row. Like, we have the sample size we need, Gal. Like, I don't want to keep bringing things back to the to the um, is it time for Gary conversation, um, but um, it might be time to have that conversation. In fact, we maybe should have had it last year in more frank terms, but I don't think we're ready to have that talk yet. What could happen? Because yeah, I think the most likely thing, unless I mean, unless you know, it really is just as simple as. Defense is not healthy, and everything kind of turns on its head. Um, what would they have to do over the next eight weeks for you to have changed your mind about, okay, we need to give this guy some money and tell him to go be a family man or go record songs in Nashville or whatever he wants <laughs> to do, whatever he wants to do with his free time? What was it? What – 
what do they yeah, have to do to change my mind? What do they have to do to make me think? Yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, like I said, like, I think if they, if they, if they somehow get to nine wins, they're sitting here at two and two. If they somehow like turn this around and get to nine wins. So that would be how many games they got left. They got eight games left. So let's say eight. Let's be, let's be more conservative. Let's say they go six and two down the stretch and they lose to Oklahoma and they lose one more game, whether that's against Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, somebody. Um, but they go six and two down the stretch and they go eight and four to finish out the regular season. Maybe I feel a little bit different. Like I said, if they get to nine or 10 wins, then I really, really feel different. Um, but to me, this, again, this team, other than that, this, I feel like we're going to have the same conversation we had last year, though. It's like if they reel off a bunch of wins, they're doing it against the like the bottom half of the conference you know it's ultimately about like how are you competitive against the against the best competition like i don't even i don't need you to beat oklahoma but are you gonna be competitive in that game or are you gonna get boat raced like you did last year um you know if if it looks like maybe oklahoma state is maybe the next best team in the conference after oklahoma and texas and if that's the case like are you gonna get boat raced in that game are you gonna be able to move the ball at all against that oklahoma state defense which looks like it's pretty darn good um or are you uh, are you gonna be able to move the ball against them at all or are you gonna get shut out in still water um are you gonna look horrible on offense in still water which has happened many times before in big 12 play for tcu um if you know if they're able to avoid those results against the two oklahoma schools and like i said get themselves into a, into more of that eight or nine win range we're having a different conversation um this just does not look like a team to me right now that's going to do that um uh, you know it looks again again like a team that's going to be fighting for to, to get to five and six wins at the end of the year um which if gary's content with doing that and if the if the school's content with letting him do that then i guess that's the way it's going to be um but i would have to think that four years of it would again be enough of a sample size for us to think about what comes next. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, you know, at a certain point, you have to. The narrative can't keep being, will they just find a way to rally after slow starts? At a certain point, you have to say, what's what's leading to the slow starts, right? Like, why why are they starting every year looking like a team that can't that can't find a way to get to six or seven wins? And, and the, the beginning of, like, talk about slow start. Like, this was not a hard start to the schedule, y'all. Like, obviously, SMU is a good team. SMU sitting here at 5-0. and They're looking like they might be the best team in Texas. But that was a very winnable game against Texas yesterday, um, uh, on Saturday, for people listening on Monday. And um, Cal does not look good. That game shouldn't have been as close as it was, right? And you honestly, even with all your mistakes, you had a chance to beat SMU. Like there's a different universe where if this team makes the right personnel decisions or if they're running an offense that makes any sense at all, um, they're sitting here at 4-0 and and sitting pretty and everybody feels a lot better. Um, It's not the universe that we live in. Uh, I know that. Um, And yeah, to your point, like they started, they started two and two this year. They started one and three last year. Um, and they're not doing it against like the, the stiffest competition. Like you can't, you know, we can't keep doing this y'all. We just can't keep doing it. Question. I, I stepped on what on your, on your, on your point. So I apologize. You finished your point, but yeah, I, I would imagine that that's kind of where you're going with this. No, you didn't. You didn't sub on a point. I mean, that was it. Like, you know, you, at a certain point you just have to, 
wonder. You have to look at the complete picture and not necessarily how they finish the year, which we don't know what that's going to look like yet this season. And hey, I mean, we'll see what he does against Baylor, what they do against Baylor. But uh, you know, one one thing that was also helping was they would get bulgeable, and then they would always upset. Usually, they beat both. Like usually, they beat both Texas and BU, but they'd at least beat one of them. Um, well, you're 0 for 1. You know, you lost to Texas, even though that was a competitive game. Matt, I appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll do this again after the Tech game. This is Locked on Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day.